Matt Broser. A podcast about security, human rights, conflict and law with an Australian and Southeast Asian focus. For this episode of Sub Rosa, I recorded my presentation to the Centre for Indonesian Law and Society um, conference held at Melbourne University on the 13th and 14th of November 2018. In this presentation, I discuss Countering Violent Extremism, or CVE, in Global Counterterrorism Policy. Uh, I look at the implications um, for CVE in aid and international development in Indonesia. The globalisation of countering violent extremism, which I'll now in, um, refer to as CVE, is one of the most significant developments in counterterrorism policy over the last decade. Beginning as a domestic response to terrorism in Western states, today CVE incorporates a broader range of actors than ever before. In more recent years, the development world has sought a role in terrorism prevention through CVE. For example, the UNDP requested $108 million over four years to fund what would be the UN's largest global CVE push. This is a definite change from its post-9-11 post stance. To some, the embracing of CVE by the development community reflects a need to carve out a funding niche in the war on terrorism as wealthy governments scale back on foreign development assistance. This trend has become evident in non-terrorism-associated fields in development, violence prevention and other sectors in Indonesia, including strategic communications. The increase in fields associated with counterterrorism has occurred in response to this shift in funding patterns. Yet despite the increase in CVE responses and actors, there remains little clarity around concepts of radicalisation, extremism and violent extremism, and varying political actors frame the issue differently, deploying these terms to situate the problem in a range of sometimes contradictory ways. This, of course, vastly complicates prevention efforts. Today I'm going to talk about CVE, which has long been promoted as a successful soft approach to counter-terrorism in the West. I will talk about CVE in the time frame and context of Barack Obama's post-2015 um, CVE push through his Washington summit on CVE, which occurred in 2015. I'll discuss the securitization of so-called moderate Islam in CVE diplomacy in the case of Indonesia, and I will discuss potential implications of current approaches to CVE as a development, soft diplomacy and security tool in foreign aid. I argue that there are a range of issues that deserve critical attention, um, evaluation and analysis by policymakers and CVE um, CVE entrepreneurs. Before we begin, I'll present some definitions to help frame current understandings of global CVE. Terrorism scholar Alex Smid provides some helpful distinctions about extremism, radicalism and violent extremism. He distinguishes between political radicalism and extremisms by placing them in different, different political genealogies. 
and argues that the distinction between violent and nonviolent extremism is not valid. He explains that nonviolent direct action, radical nonviolent direct action, has a long history in liberal democracies. Um, although some forms of these movements have been associated with radicalism, um, they are not extremists in the same way uh, that terrorists can be. From this perspective, extremists are understood as not yet violent rather than nonviolent. In this way, Schmidt argues that the violent and nonviolent extremists may be considered as two sides of the same coin owing to their supremacist authoritarian political genealogies. Because of this, he argues that preventing violent extremism is not enough. Rather, all extremisms, Islamists and other, ought to be prevented. This type of approach advocates that ideologies must be countered in order to counter terrorism. It suggests that extremists should be rejected outright in order to maintain democratic values, not only to counter terrorism. But does this type of approach, which has become popular in recent post-2015 CVE approaches, does it work for practical counter-terrorism? And in a world marked by increased political extremism overall, where might this leave communities who only know how to articulate political grievance through extremists or Islamist channels? And where does this leave law enforcement and disengagement efforts, which are increasingly based on evidence that while former terrorists can disengage from violence, they might actually never alter their inherent ideological belief systems? Because the current dominant global CVE approach has been primarily based on the assumption that, um, on assumptions about ideology and intention, contemporary CVE, including CVE in international development, often works on the basis that it is ideological change that can prevent violence. This is particularly clear when we look at development approaches to CVE. But there is extensive research and, of course, experience that suggests the opposite may be true. As Kirkpatrick argues, um, 2017, an important and central question for terrorism prevention might actually become how could states and wider civil society create a context whereby non-violent forms of political expression are considered preferable to violent alternatives? As I'll explain further, the experience and concerns of law enforcement, um, particularly Indonesian law enforcement, also reflects this type of approach, which involves finding ways to draw extremists in rather than further marginalise them. I will now discuss global CVE in more depth. It becomes clear that CVE is complex on a global scale, what is considered extremist in a Western liberal democracy may actually be mainstream in another context. Um, there is another issue um, that in some Muslim-majority states such as Indonesia, Islam and some forms of so-called radical Islam also are primarily um, primary tools for social justice um, protest and um, so on. 
so what this means is um, extremism is a relational concept referring to something that is not the norm in a given context. I will discuss um, emerging issues in CV in Indonesia now. Um, these have arisen in the preliminary research and discussions I have conducted with Indonesian CVE workers and law enforcement um, at this early stage in my PhD. So with the encouragement from the global good practices set out by the UN, um, the Washington Summit and the Global Counterterrorism Forum, in 2015 member states introduced a policy of CVE through foreign aid. This shift in policy focus has resulted in an expansion of CVE from the domestic into the international sphere where it is increasingly conducted under the label of smart power. Under the label of smart power, Western states and their Muslim-majority allies have learned how to incorporate the referent object, moderate Islam, into foreign security policy. Indonesia has built a unique position in global counterterrorism forums, positioning itself as a global leader in the promotion of so-called moderate Islam. It now co-chairs the global counterterrorism CVE forum alongside Australia. Because CVE places such a strong emphasis on matters of faith and ideology, CVE and foreign policy and aid has come to incorporate religion into strategic planning and international partnerships by supporting efforts to promote moderate Islam. Um, Bosco talks about this in his book, um, his, uh, his 2016 book. Indonesia's President Jokowi has embraced this, a classic example being his 2018 Moderate Islam Summit uh, held in Bogor in West Java. You can Google that one. Rather vague. This peculiar trend has seen the referent moderate Islam, and I'm quoting Bosco here, as an object for security protection and violence prevention. In this way, it has become a tool for both Muslim and non-Muslim majority states to help leverage connections in more traditional security sectors. The impact of post twenty fifteen um, of this post twenty fifteen CVE wave, however, is largely unknown. I have observed some emerging issues, though. Some of these issues have counterterrorism implications, while others impact on the development sector. These issues underlie the need for constant critical analysis and evaluation by policymakers and CVE stakeholders at all levels of planning and policy implementation. One clear concern is that um, that's emerging in Indonesia is the dehumanising effect of anti-Wahhabi rhetoric, particularly the impact on young women who wear the niqab. This moderate versus radical dichotomy plays into concerning and unhelpful stereotypes about the relationship between religion and violence. CVE actors in development circles with no previous security experience may have unintentionally promoted Wahhabia-phobia through CVE counter-narrative work. Take, for example, the following simplistic statement, which I've de-identified from an NGO involved in CVE in Indonesia. They argue that um, decades of petrodollar-financed Wahhabis have coarsened Indonesian Muslims' understanding of their faith and stoked extreme intolerance. Just one implication of this kind of rhetoric 
um, is that Wahhabis have become one of the most hated groups in Indonesia. The, Wah- the Wahid Institute, um, a violence monitoring institute, um, they also do CVE work, the Wahid Institute reported that the increase in discrimination and social inc- exclusion um, on this group increased significantly significantly from 2017 onwards. Uh, I have a picture here um, of young nikab-wearing women in Indonesia attempting to counter um, anti-Wahhabi sentiment through campaigns and protests with messages that attempt to reinforce their humanity. In this picture, the girls are holding up signs that say, hug me if my presence makes you comfortable. Another concern is that of transparency. As observed in the West, there are concerns that CVG can stifle transparency. An issue that is emerging here is that communities involved in CVE work cannot reveal that they are doing so. This is for security reasons, which is important as some people have lost their lives doing CVE work, but also because of the lack of credibility surrounding CVE. This is the case as we have seen in the West. The tendency to conceal CVE funding, however, undermines the open and accountable debates that are essential to a healthy civil society. Um, Hayes and Kundani explore this in their recent um, document published in 2018. The lack of publicly available information also makes it difficult to even assess how and where CVE policy is being implemented and by whom. This, of course, makes critical analysis and external evaluation near impossible. A third concern is around the CVEization of violence prevention, development and aid sectors in Indonesia, where I'm looking at what I'm focused on. As a um, CVE program manager recently explained to me, um, the CVEization of conflict monitoring um, is a trend which may impact development and terrorism prevention in the future. The reason this is occurring, um, she argued, is because of the civil society tendency to follow international donors' framing of the problem. And this framing, and I'm quoting um, the anonymous worker here, um, includes the following... Sometimes international organisations force their perspective on what happens in the global response or in their own countries. They also overgeneralise terrorism and consider that in Indonesia almost all regions have the same problem related to terrorism, which of course is not true. Finally, Indonesian police also have concerns They have noted that stereotypical thinking about radicalisation and false presumptions about who is actually at risk are rampant in the development sector. The use of the word radicalism in development policy is often problematic, being too vague and too broad-reaching. A poll re-friend actually pointed out that the UNDP recently stated that 60% of Indonesian school and university students held radical religious attitudes. Poll re state that this is patently false. This is troubling because it means that interventions may be targeting the wrong people. 
it becomes even more troubling when you consider that there are um, hundreds of detainees being held in prison in Indonesia who actually require proper interventions to help disengage them from violence. But this type of oversimplification can have counter-terrorism implications because, as the experience in Western CVE indicates, unfair betrayals of radicals and religious conservatives can lead to victimisation, which feeds into terrorism recruitment tactics about the state being anti-Islam and anti-Muslim. It also counters decades of research that shows while it is possible to disengage terrorists from violence, it is also it is almost impossible to change their ideological stance. In conclusion, um, CVE in international development has a range of implications, some of which can be considered problematic, as I've explained today. How the violent extremist problem has been framed and deployed in international development circles sometimes contradicts the experience of security experts in Indonesia's um, um, policing and security sectors. And in a world where political and religious extremism is likely to increase, is there a need to counter extremisms to preserve democratic norms as the um, overly enthusiastic global approach advocates? Or in an increasingly extreme world, do we need to create space for extremists to express their frustrations at real or perceived injustices? How might such forums look in Indonesia, where Islam is a primary rallying tool for social justice and political change? In concluding, I would like to reinforce that the impact of CVE in international development and aid is largely unknown. The approaches I've discussed may yet yield positive counter-terrorism results. One can only hope. But for now, there are a range of clear concerns raised by um, Indonesian security experts and countering violent extremism workers themselves that deserve critical attention to help improve the sustainability of terrorism prevention. Thank you.